0: Welcome back to Pool Talk. Mike and I are delighted to be back for Season 2, during which we will be finding guests from across the industry who have vast technical knowledge in their various fields, from heating and ventilation in a pool hall to the intricacies of salt generation for disinfection. As ever, if you want to contact us, please feel free on Facebook. Just search at Pool Talk. Or email us
1: at PoolTalkUK at com. Okay, hello everybody. Pools are open again and people are flocking back to them. The water's blue and warm, just what we want, and everything seems to be fine. However, it isn't just the colour and temperature of the water that we need to consider in order for us to provide that, that really joyful experience of going swimming again.
0: Today, we want to look at the control of the atmospheric conditions within the pool hall, the temperature and the humidity. Do we find that when we've had our swim, we are still wet when we, get out, when we get dressed or does our throat dry up when we're on the poolside? All of this is about balancing the ventilation system. Pool hall ventilation can swallow up huge amounts of energy and therefore our costs. So have we got it right?
1: Ian Firmage is the director of Dantherm UK and is one of the most respected names in swimming pool ventilation and humidity control systems. And so it's a privilege for Rebecca and me to be able to welcome Ian to Pool Talk and the chance to discuss the whole concept of energy management as well as providing a balanced ventilation system. Good morning, Ian. Uh, Ian Firmish from Dunfermline, UK. Such a pleasure to be able to talk to you today. Now, at the time of this podcast recording, pools are, have reopened, getting back on their feet. But we really need to look at get, what does getting back on their feet really mean? So, first of all, I don't know what's your view. Is it fair to say that as long as pool water is blue and warm, the majority of bathers don't actually want much else than that and they don't care about things such as Ventilation, humidity, condensation, evaporation, etc.
2: Well, yeah. Hi, Mike. Thanks for that. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the the truth is, people think they don't, and I've seen situations when I've been to site uh, and we've been looking at a ventilation solution for a customer, or we're dealing with customers with ventilation ventilation solution problems, or. Maybe they've got energy consumption problems that we've been looking at with them. And you walk around and you do a survey on site. And, and it's something that I've done personally as well. And you get feedback from the swimmers. And it's always nice to uh, talk to them to find out their point of view. And, and yeah, they always have a point of view, that's for sure. I don't think people understand necessarily what actually affects the conditions for comfort that, that swimmers have. So it's really important to us understand that the conditions in a swim pool hall are designed, should be designed for people who are wet. They, they're they in the pool, they're swimming, they get out, and then their bodies are covered in water, and, and it can evaporate. And that evaporation has a cooling effect, and it can make them feel colder than the actual temperature in the pool hall. And, and that's humidity related. So when we design a pool hall solution, we look at designing a solution that's covering temperature and humidity and it's the right environment for a swimmer now these these swimmers often complain it's a bit cold or it's a bit hot or it's a bit stuffy but mostly it's a bit cold uh, and I, and when we look at that situation and I've spoken to customers my customers about it so the pool operators or the guys in charge of the commercials and and what they think is well we're running it too cold we might be saving energy but and if I get enough complaints, what I'm going to do is turn the pool water temperature up a little bit. But actually that makes the problem worse. Or they'll go, well, I've had a walk around. I've took my temperature in there. I've took my thermometer in there. It works beautifully. And I feel great. But they're dressed. They're in a suit or they're in a shirt. And they're not wet and they don't feel comfortable. And actually, when I go around swimming pool and it's working correctly, it doesn't take very long before I'm feeling a bit clammy and a bit uncomfortable. And that's the way I'm supposed to feel. It's not designed for me. It's designed for swimmers. Mm. Um, so, yeah, you do get reactions. I'll, I'll tell you what. We did, a, we did an installation for one of the big leisure clubs. When we were in there, the customers were complaining of, first of all, we were doing the walk around. Oh, we pay a load of money to come here and join this club. And it's cold. It's not very nice. And, and actually, this particular one, they were, they were overventilating dramatically. So the humidity levels were really low temperature was perfect in fact it was a degree above where it should have been but it was really really dry now and that's why they were feeling cold anyway we we did the work we replaced equipment now that whole process of replacing the equipment for them for a couple of weeks so they don't want to shut the pool down it's very commercial for them so what we did is we put some temporary ventilation in best time to do that's in the winter time so in theory we're pulling in we're getting rid of the moist air from the pool, pulling it in from other spaces. It was genuinely quite cold in there. You can only contain, without actually having the heat of an air handling unit, best you can expect to get is 25 degrees. Mm-hmm. So they were in this pool hall at 25 degrees, five degrees where they, less than where they used to see in it. And they were complimenting us on the work that we'd done because it felt so much better. <laughs> and, and that was five degrees less. It was, it was fantastic. And we were okay, just wait until we've finished the work it's great and we've we've had compliments from the people who go around there ever since, and that pool's been running for 10, 12 years now yeah. and uh, and still we've got the service contract we maintain it for them, some of those clients recognize us that's great for the uh, for the pool company they they've kept that membership all that time, and we get compliments and I love it absolutely love it but there was another example where actually I was with a very high profile commercial director in a very high profile organization. It's not fair to name names, but I was talking about this and he was saying, well, uh, how does this work? And I talked about the evaporation off the bodies. And if you wet your finger and blow on it, it feels cold. Same process. The evaporation is taking heat out of your body. And he just shut off. He literally ran out of the room and he came back 10 minutes later, brought me a cup of coffee. And he, and he said, well, Ian, I've got a problem, and I've just had to deal with it. And basically one of his sites, which is a very, very big, prestigious site, they've been getting complaints about people being cold, and they've been turning the water temperature up, and they got it up to about 35, 36 degrees. That's God. dangerous, actually.
1: Yeah. And he, he
2: recognized this, and he, he didn't really understand what the operator was telling him until I explained the, the, the sense of it all, and he realized, quick, he got to shut it down. They were doing a micro- back. Micro backwash every half an hour to mm. compensate for mm. what was happening in the pool itself. Wow! Mm. And, and and then finally, the other thing you might not realise is if you if you don't control it correctly, the odours and condensation that you get in a pool hall can be accelerated. But and if the if the ventilation system's not in balance, that can push the moist air away from the pool hall and into other other areas around it. So it might go into a gym. Mm. Mm. or or it, it might go in in a hotel i've seen them in corridors where the wallpaper's literally been rolling off the wall and you've had mushrooms growing in the carpets it's been that moldy mm. nothing to do with the poor hall but and, and actually the ventilation system wasn't too bad it was just out of balance and it yeah. just needed to set them yeah. back up again so so yeah people notice. <laughs> like really short question. It's it's
0: interesting to hear from someone else's point of view, because um, at Blue Pools, we we design swimming pools and we work with a lot of private clients who insist on having glass um, doors all the way along one side of the pool hall. All our indoor pools have got upmarket air handling units, so the environment is very well controlled and they're convinced that in the summer they're going to spend the whole of the summer with these doors fully open and swimming in it. At design stage, once it's built and they've started swimming in it, they're never open. And we say that from the beginning, you're never going to open those doors. You will go out and you'll close them to come back in, even in the summer. And they swear blind that we're wrong Two, two years, three years down the line. No. Nope. Yeah,
2: I don't they Remember, they live in the UK.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, they don't.
2: Maybe, maybe two weeks in a year. I could imagine it, but yeah, yeah. yeah, it's not not so good. But you can get over that, of course, and you'd know that with the distribution and dropping the dry air in the right space Yeah. And
1: this. This. This is so interesting, uh, Ian. you know, our library of podcasts so far, we we've tried to cover as many applications uh, of swimming as we possibly can. We've talked about hydrotherapy pools, even the use of pools. We we've even talked about marketing and lifeguarding, um, and that will has um, obviously you know drawn interest from users, lifeguarding specialists, etc. But when we talk about heating and ventilation, really, we're going to be talking now the people listening to this will be the technical managers, the technical operators, the designers, the, the, the builders. So although we've got to make sure that the bather is comfortable and safe, how much effect can, if you like, poor ventilation, unbalanced ve- ventilation, how much effect can that have on the structure of the building?
2: A major effect, uh, and you can visualise that uh, if you go into a swimming pool hall that's not being controlled properly, and the moisture content is too high. It won't take very long until we get mould growing. Uh, and slightly longer, you start to get corrosion, even on stainless steel. You you can get corrosion in a in a chemical rich environment, um, and the, and and without correct ventilation, you're going to get that concentration of chloramines building and so on as well but the, the primary reason for a ventilation system in a pool hall is to protect the building condensation is visual on glass uh, you don't affect the glass until it runs down the bottom and starts peeling the paint on the on the window ledges and so below um, but if you can imagine it and you can't see it as easily on the structure, the fabric in the building, the brickwork, the plasterboard, even what's going off above the ceiling and the and the barriers that you've got in place there, there's all sorts of corrosion and nasties going off. That, mm. um, it, it's very significant in terms of, you know, in a year or two's time, your building's mm. going to fall down and you've got yeah. some major structural repairs yeah. to do. And and that, of course, affects that issue with the balancing of the airflow and pushing that moisture around other parts of the building. that and not protected, there are vapor barriers in place in some important halls, and they are built for purpose to some extent. Even, even 60% is enough to trick or to trigger corrosion or, or um, mold growth. But that's factored into the building. But outside rooms, mm. gymnasiums, yeah. if you've got air leaking into a gym at, at 60% RH, then it's immediately cooled down. The RH is going to shoot up. Um, and you've got people exercising in a gym at like near enough saturation. It's, um, it's really going to affect how people feel there. And and that's an energy consumption that we don't actually calculate or factor in. Yeah, that
1: that is such an important point, because when we when we tend to talk about, you know, ventilation and swimming pool, what goes through people's minds is it's a standalone building. You know, it's it's a hole in the floor full of water. That's the swimming pool uh, without realizing that you've got all these other segments of the building feeding off it. You know, not just the changing rooms, but reception, the gym, the sports hall, the squash court, the, the cafe area, whatever it might be.
2: Okay. Yeah. Everybody recognizes the f- failures. When, when, a, when a system's failing, they'll recognize it. Um, we've, our, our approach to this business generally is, uh, we, have got a team of Dantam survey people who will go out and visit the site and we'll have a walk around. We've surveyed probably way in excess of 500 commercial swimming pool halls now. And the first thing you look out for is the condition of the pool hall itself. And, that that will lead on to, if it's perfect and it's nice and shiny, there's no condensation, there's no mess anywhere, there's going to be a possibility that it's perfect. But actually, let me say, first of all, that more than 90% of the pool halls that we survey are failing in somewhere or other. And and it's an equal split between they're failing because they're not controlling humidity and humidity is running out of control and there's a lot of condensation damage. And the other half, are over-ventilating, and they're wasting energy dramatically. And those are the ones where you don't see a sign of anything, other than you might get complaints from swimmers that they're too cold. Mm-hmm. But when you walk into the swimming pool hallway, you can see mould, you can see corrosion, you can see paint over corrosion, you can see even the stainless steel corroding, you know the whole thing's out of sync. Mm-hmm. And those poor guys, they recognise that, but they don't have the money to do it, and so they paint over and, and deal with it. And the sad thing is, a lot of times... It, it, it doesn't need an investment as such. It needs a decent bit of maintenance. It needs tuning. It needs setting back up. But there's a lack of understanding in the industry about how to set these things up properly.
0: And in, uh, a nervousness around it, I've found talking to people who look after pools that they're nervous about it. They don't want to change it just in case they make it worse.
2: Yeah, and, and, and that's right. If you don't understand it, you shouldn't be tweaking it or playing with it because no. you probably will make it worse. And if you don't make it worse, you make it better from the point of view of fixing the, the corrosion problems and everything else. You're going to go the other way and your energy consumption is going to double mm. or, or or even worse, which is some of the examples that we've seen. We can talk about energy consumption a bit later if you like. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, looking after the building is key. And it, and it doesn't have to be expensive. It's the same with the energy saving as well. It doesn't have to be expensive.
1: Yeah, um, I've got to ask you this, Ian. You know I'm going to ask you this. And and it does lead nicely into energy consumption and cost saving. Uh, for years and years and years, pools have been fighting with the whole process of energy management, energy conservation, heat retention, etc., recirculation. recirculation. Th- that, that's happened... To a greater or larger um, uh, extent, when the COVID pandemic first affected pools, the advice from the industry was that indoor pools should then revert to 100% uh, fresh air ventilation. Can we just talk about, first of all, what does what does 100% fresh air ventilation actually mean? I don't know whether you've got any views on what does that meant in terms of energy management during that period.
2: Yeah, I think it's it's important to understand. What we know about COVID now in that respect, and the viral load aspect of it, and why why are they talking about one hundred percent ventilation? And and that goes for every building, not just the swimming pool hall. Uh, And I'm no expert on COVID, and I'm not a biologist or anything like that. But from a personal point of view, I've studied it. I don't want to catch it, and and it's quite clear that in order to catch COVID, you've got to be exposed to it. And and these viral particles have to be in a certain concentration. And I think they call it viral load. So if you you can dilute that concentration through ventilation, then it it makes it very difficult to catch COVID. And and that's where these regulations come from. That's why when we were first allowed to meet people again, it was outdoors. There's very little chance apart from getting in somebody's face that you're actually going to pass on any viral and the viral load outside is quite extreme so then you bring that into a swimming pool hall which is a lovely environment for staying safe because the air is chlorinated there's there's got to be an element of disinfection through that but also then you bring in this ventilation you've got to increase ventilation to minimize the risk well when you design a swimming pool hall you design a swimming pool hall to be able to or a ventilation system to be able to bring in just enough fresh air outside air, to manage your humidity load. But you give it the capability of delivering more fresh air for two reasons. One is you get a seasonality effect. The fresh air in the summer has less drying ability than the fresh air in the winter time. That's great from an energy efficiency point of view if you control it that way because you, you don't need very much cold air, which you have to eat on, to do the drying. But in the summertime, you need a lot more. Then the other thing is you, you tend to build in recirculation because when you've brought this fresh air into the space, whether that's a small amount in the winter or a lot in the summer, you've got to fire it into the right areas. These windows need to be protected. The walls need to be protect, protected from condensation. You want to put the dry air where it's actually needed. So you generally always design a, a system that's capable of delivering that volume of air. Now, whether it's recirculated or Or, or, or brought in all from outside is a different factor. But if you're controlling it correctly, you'll be in a normal world, you'll be recirculating a lot of it and just bringing in exactly the amount of fresh air that you need. Well, COVID and 100% ventilation means that you've got to bring in as maximum amounts of ventilation as you possibly can because priorities have changed. Energy efficiency, humidity control, pull by the wayside compared to keeping people safe and healthy and not exposed to this horrible illness or this horrible virus. Yeah. So, so that's that's what 100% ventilation means. There's a knock-on effect to that, though, especially in the wintertime. If you're running your pool hall through the winter at 100% ventilation, you're creating all these problems that I've just been talking about. Yeah. You're over-ventilating, you're over-dehumidifying, your customers are going to feel quite cold. You're using a lot of energy that you didn't you shouldn't be using in a normal world. Uh, But I I think from when I talked also about doing these surveys and and half of the energy-wasting surveys that we see where probably half of 90%, so 45% of pools, are already running like this. They don't realise it. And and they must be in a strange position because the industry is warning them that you've got to do this 100% ventilation. It's going to cost you money. But well, it's keeping your pool running. And <clears throat> we can, we can also talk about ways of mitigating that. But, but actually, they'll look at themselves and they go, we're doing it anyway. Mm. <laughs> how, how bad must they feel actually when they're actually doing it anyway? Yeah. So, um, so actually the good side of that is when they actually get back to a normal world, they've got an opportunity to detune their systems and get it controlling properly and and going back to where they should be. That's where a company like Danfone can help. Because if you've got a decent engineer who understands the design, understands how it works, a lot of the solutions don't need ripping out the old kit and putting in the new one. It just means tweaking or refurbishing or looking at a component or looking at a control system. So these solutions can be really, really quite cheap and give a payback of weeks or months. So it's a no-brainer to do them. But then people have to trust.
1: During... The period of time when pools were operating under the uh, COVID restrictions, 100% ventilation for not all pools, as you say, but a lot of pools meant that there was quite a significant increase in costs. And obviously, we would all want to be able to get, get back to the position where we could conserve energy, recirculate heat, benefit from the latent heat of, of um, exhaust ventilation, et cetera. Am I am I right in saying then is that when we can start doing that again of moving down from 100% ventilation, a lot of pools are going to see us or could see a significant financial saving, as you say, not by putting in new pieces of equipment, but just by rebalancing the whole system.
2: Yeah, that's right. Um, I think um, if just going back to looking at you, there's stuff they can do today, they're still on 100% fresh air. Yeah. So thing, simple things like when there's no occupation, there's no swimmers, like at night time, they can set the system back. They should run it for most, of them, most pools are design with something like a, a six, six air changes an hour. So in theory, every in 10 minutes, the air has been changed. Um, if you look at a smoke test, you'll know that's not necessarily true. It takes probably about half an hour to an hour to mm. properly change every bit of air in the space. But they, after an hour, worst case, they can set everything back because there's nothing to protect in there apart from the building. They put a pool cover on and they need to use pool covers. It's, I go to around so many pools where the pool cover is broken. If you're investing in that thing, use it. It saves a fortune at night. They
1: so expensive? they should
2: do that. They are expensive, but if you've got it, use it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. they, they, they can also, they also, I think, need to manage the customer's expectations. Because if, with 100% fresh air, they, those clients are going to feel cold and there's no doubt about it. So they need to let them know this is happening, it's for your safety. And actually, in that environment, they could knock a degree off the water temperature, they could knock a de- degree off the air temperature yeah, yeah. and save some energy that way. We yeah. can't. It's no good just turning the air temperature down, that has the opposite effect. So that will waste energy, not save it. But actually, if they put the two together and drop them down to the air temperatures a little bit above the water temperature, Mm. the customers aren't going to feel too much difference because their their worst experience is going to be based on the evaporation from from their skin. So there are some savings still to be had. Um, Going back to your your question, Mike, what happens afterwards? Well, significant savings can be had just in controls. I, I think we've made some... Incredible savings with our um, upgrades, if you like. Um, Typically, somewhere between 50 and 70 grand a year. But that's based on a more significant...
1: Can you you just repeat that? What was the figure you can save?
2: Somewhere, typically, on a 25-meter pool where they've been running without uh, the, the right controls of energy efficiency and environment, so it's been over-drying... We've been saving something like £50,000, £75,000 a year on all the jobs where we've monitored it and controlled it and modelled it. Yes. And that, that's that's proved. That's based on sub metering and before and after the installation and the project. Based on a refurb or upgrade, my best saving is £200,000 a year in old money. That was probably about 10 years ago now. So with price increases, that's probably closer to two hundred and fifty pounds or £300,000. That, that was based on an investment of fifty thousand pounds of repairing, remodelling, upgrading, and basically taking their existing equipment and bringing it up to a, a, a position where it would work properly.
0: That's amazing.
2: Uh, even more amazing is I had a customer who had a service contract with me for years. It was a fifty metre pool, so it's quite exaggerated. It was a big one. He, he, he decided to save a bit of money on the servicing. My guys were a hundred pound a visit more expensive than the local guy. So we got the local guys in for two years and then he phoned me up and he said, Ian, the, the energy savings are crazy. Your equipment isn't really doing what it's supposed to do. So I, I went and had a look with one of my engineers and it, and actually I'm going to put my hand up here because it was me who found it and I'm very proud of it. <laughs> but but the, they, all it was was a sensor out of calibration and we adjusted that. The rest of it wasn't too bad. Um, There was a damper motor that was (laughs) ready to fail and the guys hadn't picked it. That would have been expensive, really expensive. But fixing that sensor and recalibrating it, which took me five minutes, saved them £34,000 a year. Now, they were running my app for two years. So that was £68,000. And he saved himself £400 on the service. Mm. So it didn't really stack up to me.
1: I I think this is the important... Well. One of the many important points to make, Ian, that there can be you know, sort of fabulous financial savings to be made. It doesn't come without the initial cost, though, of, of making an installation or making a refurbishment. But generally speaking, the savings would far outweigh any capital investment to begin with.
2: Paybacks, are, are almost every time with the most expensive installation we've done in less than two years. But typically you can find savings in less than a year. Mm -hmm. and most of it is really based on just doing decent service uh, and having properly trained service engineers. So the the important way to to, to consider this is that a lot of this can be done through maintenance and and knowing and understanding what is actually going wrong. Um, Years ago, I had a problem in the office with a radiator. It was too hot, and I got a hammer out. And it just needed a little tap on the TRV. And um, and my boss at the time went, the thing is, it's, it's it's a cheap thing with a hammer, but you've got to know where to hit it. That's what my guys are like. They know they're trained for energy consumption savings. They're trained how, where energy is wasted. And they're trained to look at the pool hall and, and assess. I walk into a pool hall and in 10 minutes, I know whether it's wasting energy or I know whether it's a, 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 a damaging the building or the fabric it's just knowing where to measure and what i'm seeing when i see the results Mm. and then i can go in and i can predict what state the uh, handling unit's in when i take the cover off from and i'm not some brilliant practical engineer Mm. i'm more theoretical in theory but it's easy to do when you know what you're doing Mm. all my service team in damson are trained to look for these problems Whereas the other guys, they go in and they change a few filters and check the fans are running. And if it's got belts on it, and they're tight. And if it's not, then everything else is fine. And they go away after two hours. My guys spend five or six hours on site and they'll do a walk around. And they'll do the tuning and they'll check all the wear and tear on the components that when they fail, waste energy. And, and that's, that's the big difference. That might cost an extra £100 a visit or £200 a visit. Depending on what the local guys are like and doing, but the savings is remarkable. Yeah, and, and and I see it as good value, and um, and, and we're not changing from that in that. So We we're focusing on not just doing the job, but supporting with the knowledge and the expertise and all these years of experience.
1: I th- I, <laughs> I think, Ian, yeah, um, at the time of recording this podcast, pools are open again, but we're still uh, under the um, the covid restrictions of operation as those restrictions ease i'm pretty sure that you're going to get so many calls from so many pools i hope you can handle them all because there's going to be an awful lot of people listening to this that said never thought of that what's their number <laughs> and we're more than happy to pass it pass that number numbers on to you by the way but yeah i, I think as pools do emerge i hate the term oh well, you know let's get back to normality Normal is going to be a new normal. So, uh, you know, I don't like that. Term. But as pools begin to operate fully, should we say, there's going to be a lot more thought given to the the technical and environmental operation of a pool. There that, that, that has to be. Yeah. Pools have taken su- such a huge financial hit. And, you know, just by just reducing the opening hours or knocking some of the staff on the head is not the way to um, uh, to get back to good operation. Ian, it's been absolutely fascinating. It always is fascinating to talk to you anyway, but but it's been absolutely fascinating to be able to, to draw out some of these issues. And I think the important thing from this is that when it comes to energy saving, you know, we are not always talking about massive capital costs of putting in this, replacing that. A lot of the savings can be made, not just in money, but in terms of energy as well, just by good maintenance, good operation, tweaking some of the systems here and there, and, and um, the savings can be absolutely phenomenal. I, th- I think it's absolutely terrific.
2: I hate the term salespeople. In, in the you UK, know. people, my, my title is sales and operations director in Dantham, and and that puts me in charge of service and sales, and everything should go together. But if I go to site, people see the sales bit, and they think I'm trying to sell them something they don't need. And And it's not true. Our job is to give them solutions to problems. Mm. And what I see is problems that they don't recognise. And yeah. I, it's important for me to try and educate them. I'm tell you what, I am a bit scared of when it all opens up. Um, <laughs> we um we we're, we're, we're resourced to cope with the normal world, if you like, and uh, and I do see there's going to be a lot of we've managed to keep everybody working. A lot of the pool companies during lockdown even have seen opportunities for servicing. We've been helping people shut down pools. We've been helping them, doing some teaching as well and helping them understand what to do. I'm, I'm actually quite keen on people being self-sufficient. It's um, Selling service contracts is key for me. It's a business. But actually, I, and, and we, I think it's quite low cost compared to the value that we add to the customer. Yeah. Yeah. Payback, remarkable. If I paid on a percentage of payback, I'd be very rich by now. Mm. But actually, my ambition is to get all the pools running properly and, and us to be instrumental in that. Bantam is really, our understanding of this goes back 30, 40 years. with through my boss and then my 27-year experience. Mm. I'll be retired in 10 years probably. And, and it's this stage of my career is about handing over the knowledge and making sure it's, we, we leave with a really strong legacy of, of what we do. And you're right. Service engineering and the and the preventative maintenance done properly with people who know what they're looking for is is where the biggest savings have come from. Um, yeah. but my, I've got sales guys who sales guys I'm falling into that trap I've got engineers who understand what solutions they can give to customers that offer the best value yeah. and then I- if the customer' <laughs> only any money, and we can find a different way around that, possibly, or, or at least with some money. There's always compromises to be had yeah. and, and different solutions depending on budgets and mm. situations. But I think, unless they fix some of these problems, they've, they've, the industry's taken a massive hit on lost revenue. And, and unless they actually fix some of these problems and start to reduce energy now, it, how are they going to recover? How are they going to get that back? Mm. They, they do have to be addressed. Yep. And the cynicism and the cynical approach that somebody's trying to con me out of some, mon- some of this money I don't have is got to go away a little bit, really. Yeah.
1: So much sense there. So much sense there. I do, I do like your uh, your prophecy, Ian, that you'll be retired in 10 years' time. I should have retired 10 years ago. Um, and <laughs> a, an awful lot of people will, will, will agree with me that I should have gone 10 years ago. But uh, can I just thank you, Ian? It's been absolutely a fascinating chat with you today. You know, we know that there's going to be a lot of technical managers, designers, technical operators who will be listening um, uh, to this. And I, I can only agree with you that, you know, as soon as the, the restrictions ease fully, okay, people are going to look at, at where they can make those savings because of the the hit that they've had. And making the savings is not through reducing opening hours, reducing staff, reducing program. You no. know, the, the big saving can be made on literally operating what they've got properly.
2: Yeah. I don't know how much to pay the operators, but... 70,000 pounds a year saving that I'm sure you better get one or two operators in that. That's quite valuable.
1: It's, un- yeah. it's unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. Ian, thank-, thank you so much. Best of luck coping with this. I think Dantham might need, you know, we'll end up looking to uh, recruit more engineers through this. One.
2: I am actually training people like Matt at the moment. We are building up for it. So I'm, uh, I'm training engineers, our own people, and one or two other people that I can work with as well. Good for you. Uh, I'm hoping we'll be geared up. I'm I'm
1: gonna be ready for them. Good. Good. Great. Thanks so much, Ian. Pleasure to talk to you as ever. Thank you. Bye guys,
0: thank you. We would love to hear from you. So if you have a question about today's episode, then please contact us on our Facebook page or via email, pooltalkuk at outlook.com. Pool Talk is released every Tuesday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for listening.